This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. What is up, everybody? Welcome to another AMA. I'm your host, Tom Bilyeu, and I'm going to be answering your questions. Uh, by the way, if you ever want to submit a question, you can send it to AMA at impacttheory.com. And uh, yeah, anything special they need to do in the subject line? Chase? AMA question, nice and easy. Although hopefully if it's coming into AMA, we figured that much out. All right, so that would be amazing. We're gonna dive right in. Dogmara Ava. I just listened to the mind-blowing episode with Yuval Noah Harari, which was truly eye-opening in so many ways. He says, he says, is that we paint? There we go. He says that we paint our lives into a story we choose, drama, comedy, etc. I agree with that, and no matter how hard we try to see the real us, it is mostly just perception. He says it is painful to face the reality, but it is beneficial. He says that living a story can bring around great tragedies and conflicts over time like genocide, and that we must face the real us no matter how painful. What do you think is the benefit he was referring to when we face our real selves? Or does it mean we need to get better with the stories we paint the ones that empower us and position us to effectively solve challenges. Okay, so the reality of facing the real you, the reason that's so important is you can't change something if you can't accurately see it. And that really is step one, is getting that awareness, understanding who you are, understanding your proclivities. Um, Jordan Peterson talks a lot about this. I think he talks pretty profoundly about the need for everyone to understand that the atrocities that um, happened in, say, um, Nazi Germany, are not about just one charismatic leader who leads all these otherwise incredibly good people astray. The reality is that all of us have darkness within us. And I just read um, The Laws of Human Nature by um, my boy, Robert Green, and he talks about something very similar. He talks about the shadow side. All of us have a shadow side. And I think that it's really important that we're willing and able to look at that, to recognize our propensity to do bad things, um, to have anger, to be malicious, to be covetous, to, to be envious. All of those things are real. We all experience those, but we don't have to give in to them. We don't have to let them um, gain momentum in our minds. So I think that we all have it at a low level, but you can very easily, especially in the beginning, nip that stuff in the bud whether it's through cognitive behavioral therapy techniques and you're literally just doing a pattern interrupt or whether it's something that you're doing uh, through a more sustained uh, approach via values and identity um, so that just to be congruent with who you are, you don't allow any momentum to build up with resentment, anger, frustration, um, anything that might then over time manifest as something more evil and sinister. Bitterness is one. That's something, hey, I don't talk about things like sort of culturally very often, but I will tell you that 
man, there's a sense of growing bitterness in the world that really freaks me out because I think bitterness taken on a long enough timeline uh, as it gets more and more exaggerated becomes something truly sinister and uh, worthy of fear. So yeah, that one freaks me out. But that's reality. That's why you want to face real you to understand who you really are so that you can make change. And that ultimately it's about figuring out who you want to be and being able to steer away from the things that are holding you back. But understanding things like what your biases are is a really good idea. So understanding that this one's just general, but all of us have a desire to lean into things that are feed the confirmation bias. So we believe something, so we read things that confirm that rather than things that disconfirm that. Understand what your identity is built around and if it's built around something being uh, good, right, smart, all of that stuff that you're just going to find that that because your self-esteem is tied to it, that you're investing in that, uh, you're pursuing that, that you'll um, try to shut down good ideas because they weren't yours, you'll do weird backbends to justify your position. Another way that this plays out, uh, when you buy a brand, you have this sense of your choices and what they say about you tied up in that, and you would never wanna say that you chose poorly the first time, so you end up going with the same thing over and over and over and never really thinking about it because you just don't wanna admit that you're wrong. So. Um, yeah, the ultimate punchline in there is once you know who you are, then you can make change and you can avoid the more negative sides of your personality. All right, Daniel Breeze. You talk a lot about the power of making quick decisions. Even if you make a mistake, you will learn from it and never make that mistake again. I think this applies to everyone, not only entrepreneurs. My question is, how do people make sure that they're recognizing the mistake and correctly identifying the same circumstances when they happen in the future? What specific things can people do to get better at learning from previous mistakes? All right, fantastic question. And the reality is most people do repeat mistakes and what they probably recognize is a pattern if nothing else. So I wouldn't say that even I am um, able to catch every mistake the first time. Unfortunately, I too am more prone to noticing a pattern of problem than I am one given mistake. Uh, Ray Dalio talks a lot about this in the book Principles and he actually talks about writing it down. This is the scenario and then this is what to do. So if this, then that in traditional programming language. So getting yourself in a system where you're taking the time to codify, codify, can't believe I said that, uh, to codify the things that happen in your life and then give a plan for what you would do with them next time. I think that's really, really important. And something that I'm failing to do here at Impact Theory, and this has really been haunting me, at the end of every year, I really try to take time to uh, make sure that we're set for the next year. And man, I should probably do it more often, but it takes an inhuman amount of time. So doing that in that process and thinking through everything in 2018 and where we won and where we lost, um, it's really been on my mind that we had an intern almost 18 months ago, who said, Tom, you've really got to write down these principles. I know that you feel like you put it out in the content all the time, so people would surely understand it, and they don't. Um, and so shame on me. I've known that I've needed to do that for a good 18 months, and I've never taken the time. Wow, I'm saying that out loud as a form of whipping myself because this really sucks to say out loud. I've definitely let the team down on that. I need to start doing that. I need to find a way to make that a part of like my weekly rituals as this stuff is coming up all the time. So there you have it. In answering your question, I am uh, reminding myself 
that that is exactly what I need to be doing and I'm not doing. So that's a pretty straightforward way to do that. All right, Jacob Stoll. As I write this, I currently have no money in the bank. I've been running my own production company for over a year now, living check to check. I'm 22 years old and constantly struggle between doing what I love to do or doing things that will make money. Often I find myself picking up random jobs just to pay the bills. Money isn't a huge necessity to me at the moment, but I would like to make a lot to be able to give back, travel, and enjoy life. I have no kids or serious responsibilities besides paying rent, gas, food, etc. My question is, do you think I should focus on the business of what I love to do while struggling financially, or do I also do something on the side that will make me money? I feel like you're definitely going to tell me to do what I love, but how do I find the balance? How can I make money and still do what I love? Okay, so here it is. I'm not the burn the ships at the shore guy. So I get it. And when I hear stories like that, oh man, it gives me chills, makes the hair stand up on the back of my neck. It is so fucking cool to hear people like, man, we're taking this fucking island. We are burning the ships. There's no going back. We're only going forward. And it's rad in a story. It is rad in a story. And I lean on stuff like that as a metaphor occasionally to be like, fucking burn the ships. But the reality is, man, I protect my downside. So I highly encourage you to balance your actual time between something that's going to allow you to keep doing what you love and still eat. So there may be other things you can do other than just make money. There are certainly, meaning, uh, for example, I'll finish that thought, that I used to manage apartment complexes. And the reason that I did it was to have, in some cases, dirt-free, dirt-free, free or dirt-cheap rent. So um, that is, things like that are an option, getting roommates, Um, One of the guys here um, lives in student accommodations, even though he's no longer a student, but I thought that was pretty clever. And his rent is ridiculously cheap. So, but he's willing to accept that his living conditions are quite literally a dorm. And he's been living in a dorm essentially for five years. So um, you have to accept some push and pull on that. Uh, So, but that's what I would suggest. I would say, find a way to allocate as much time to what you love as humanly possible, but recognizing that knowing that you're gonna be able to eat and keep a roof over your head is a very good thing. Um, So, yeah, that is the, the sense of balance. Now, I think that you can also find a job that will pay you to do what you love. They are not easy. It's gonna force you to ask some really hard questions on the way in. It's gonna force you to kiss a lot of frogs before you find that prince, but it certainly is possible to find a job where you're doing what you love. And then just as I'm sure that you know from being an entrepreneur, that nothing is always fun. There are days here at Impact Theory where I want to punch myself in the face because what I'm doing for the day sucks and is no way enjoyable. But it's just the reality of the things you have to get done in order to get back to the stuff that you really love. That's why you should believe in the thing you're trying to accomplish and enjoy the things you do on a day-to-day basis just because it's never going to be an ever-inclining ramp of joy. John Kim. I'm currently facing insanity, literally, that took a a dark turn. I was microdosing mushrooms at the start of the year, which initially worked great in decreasing my absolutely chronic social anxiety. However, the benefits started to decline, and I accidentally took a large dose of LSD, which messed me up. Now it feels like I'm on the verge of schizophrenia, and I'm working hard to get my sanity back. I was wondering if you had any advice for how I should proceed given my limited finances. I've invested more into physiotherapists? I'll take that literally. I've invested more into physiotherapists as I feel like targeting the physical issues, yep, that was correct, uh, will help solve my anxiety and ability to work. 
as I've studied psychology in my undergraduate and continue to research it, I have not continued paying for a psychologist. I do not have many friends or family to reach out to. I have tried. My anxiety is so great. People are unable to help me. Uh, I can only help myself. Any advice at all would be greatly appreciated, and your podcast is helping me keep my sanity right now. I don't know where I'd be without it. All right, so first of all, I just want to acknowledge the the amazing vulnerability and being able to share that, and I am beyond honored. It is comments like this um, that you don't know where you would be without the podcast that literally keep me going, and when I am exhausted and just feel like I have nothing more to give, Wow, I'm getting emotional. It, it is literally stuff like this that keeps me going uh, to know that it's useful. So that, thank you for that. Now I'm going to say, when it comes to mental health, you you are you're playing your. You have mentioned depression, so I will say that maybe you're in a slightly better position. Normally, what I tell people is when you're dealing with mental health, you are literally playing with your life. Schizophrenia, however, is. Uh, very severe. And if it turns into paranoid schizophrenia, then you can really get yourself in trouble. Um, I think that microdosing on your own is, is a mistake. I think that you're really, really playing with fire. And I highly, highly encourage you. I get why you're attacking the body issues as well. Um, and I think that that's amazing. But I don't think that if you can only pay for one, um, somebody that's going to directly address your mental health issues or somebody that's going to potentially help you with the underlying cause, um, I would actually, believe it or not, I would say get somebody that can help you manage your symptoms right now. Not as like a, uh, that's going to be the only thing that we do, but because the symptoms can be so problematic and in the case of mental health can lead to places that are so horrifying. Like if you really slide into paranoid schizophrenia, you will no longer think you want help. And so it's like we have to be super careful not to let it go to that place. Um, So I would say get somebody who you can work with that can really titrate your drugs so that we can get you into a stable place. Once we get you into a stable place, then we can start dealing with a physiotherapist and getting to the underlying cause, which maybe, if oh, just gut instinct, probably is tied to uh, the microbiome. But I think that there are massive things that you can do first um, on the diet and exercise side that will just clean up the vast majority of just the sort of blunt force trauma, big mistakes that most people make. So cut out any refined sugars from your diet, cut out carbohydrates entirely. If you get in a ketogenic state, that's a good way of just sort of shorthanding that you're probably, you've removed the really big offenders. Now there are other things that we'll probably want to address, but just as like a quick swag, and not everybody does well in ketogenic, so this is not a panacea, unfortunately, but it does help so many people that statistically speaking, that is my advice. Now, with that set aside for now, I would reallocate your dollars over to um, somebody that can help you directly manage your mental symptoms. I think that is huge. I cannot recommend um, strongly enough that if you have found little to no alleviation, that while it may be true that it just isn't going to be an effective solution for you, start with Occam's razor, which is that you just have a bad therapist. And I would first work with other therapists, find somebody that you resonate with, try five, six, seven, eight different people. Do like a quick half hour session just to feel their vibe, to see if you trust them, if you believe in them, if they speak in a way that you think is gonna resonate with you. All right, I could really go on on that one because I think the stakes are so high here. Um, 
seek help, seek help, seek help for sure. It's uh, a sign of strength that you've been able to reach out and be vulnerable here. Um, it is a sign of strength to me that you seek somebody, um, that you recognize that you can't do this yourself, um, that you, you shouldn't need to do this yourself. Um, oh man, I really hope that you seek that help. And yes, for sure, we will still be here uh, and doing everything that we can to help you from afar. But I really think that you would benefit tremendously uh, from some one-on-one -on -one attention. Shannon, I'm a 29-year-old single female who left the corporate world of five years to pursue my dream of owning my own floral business. It's ran solely by me right now, and I'm a team of one. The business has been successful, and I've been doing what I always dreamed of with it for just over a year now. I'm at a hard place right now, as some days I feel super fulfilled, and others I'm numb, going through the motions. Is this typical for anyone, even if they are super passionate, even if they are super passionate about what they do? So um, I never would use the word numb, but there are definitely days, like I was mentioning earlier, where I actively want to punch myself in the mouth because there are just things that I have to do that are so tedious and boring or just outright painful or whatever, and I really don't want to be doing them. And in those moments, I have to remind myself that. What I'm building, my why, the reason that I'm doing all of this is so important to me. And quite frankly, just like letting all of the like important and you should want to help people and all that bullshit and just setting it aside for a second. It's fucking rad. I love helping people. That shit is fun. And seeing people light up like that is so cool. So thinking about how dope it would be to actually build the studio and to pull this off and to help people at scale. Oh my God. Like, so when you have something like that, that you're legitimately amped up, you're not saying it because it's cool or it's socially relevant or it looks good on your Instagram feed. You're saying it because for whatever fucking reason, the things you've chosen to value, the way that you've grown up, all of that leads you to the thing that you're pursuing is super fucking rad. And so if making flowers is awesome and you've got a willingness to fight through the numb days, to get back to those days, great, then we're doing the right thing. So now, how do we address the numb days? The way that we address the numb days is we're going to, one, try to identify exactly what is happening. What is going on on the days that you feel numb? Is there a biochemical thing that's happening? Is it something that's related to your diet? Is it a lack of exercise? Like, is there something going on there that feeds into that? Is it task-oriented? Is there just certain things in your business you don't like doing? Could you afford to hire somebody that maybe has a, a natural um, personality inclination towards enjoying the things that you hate doing. Um, that is huge. In fact, can I, Carlotta, who is our bookkeeper, and by the way, oh, I don't know if she's announcing it. She has a cool announcement. I'll let her decide if she wants that uh, said in an AMA. But she is astonishing, amazing, and the job that she does is so hateful, and I could never bear the thought of having to do that for my job. I can't imagine. So, my gratitude for her knows no bounds. And she is very good at her job, which is another just extraordinary tick on her side. So there is somebody that you can find that you can either give ownership in the business if you can't afford to pay them. And trust me, I know it hurts to give up like a percentage of your company. People really get stuck on that. But let me tell you, if you're having one or two numb days now, that becomes three and four, it becomes 30 and 50, it becomes 100 and then suddenly it's 365 days and you're not having fun anymore and you would have been much better off giving some portion, even a massive portion, even half of your company to somebody else as long as you know them well. There are huge caveats with partners but if you know them well then it can be just an absolute lifesaver. I have 
never done a business, I think that's true, where I didn't have partners. So that is something for me, I like having partners. And that way there's somebody doing the things that I don't want to do. So um, that would be my advice. Read the book, E-Myth Revisited. I think it will help tremendously. Datri. Given your belief that entrepreneurship is not in DNA, what are the most important business skills to develop and how would you build them? If you were 17 again, what skills would you prioritize acquiring? Oh dear God, if I were 17 again, and this goes for everybody, no matter what you're trying to do, the thing that you need is a growth mindset. Now, the more I think about this whole, like how did I go from really truly not being an entrepreneur, not having any entrepreneurial instincts, to getting to the point where I could be an entrepreneur and be very successful? And the answer is that it comes down to values, beliefs, identity, rules, habits, and routines. So those are the things that you have to build out in your life. So this is um, gonna be a, a very high level answer, but a few key things. One is the growth mindset that is absolutely essential. And then two, any business is gonna be broken down into people, product, and process. So in people, I'll put sales and marketing, culture, um, in process, it's all operations, and then product. Is the person actually creating the product? So those are three very different skill sets already, certainly three very different areas of focus. And so depending on which of those areas you want to go into is going to determine the skill sets that you need. So one of the things that's helped me tremendously is psychology. Reading about the brain, understanding why people are the way they are, focusing a lot on community. Um, and community will serve you well also, by the way, in the social age because not only um, if you're going to be on the marketing side, not only are you building a company culture, but you're going to export that culture in the form of value creation to your, um, your community and consumers. So that understanding that, understanding what creates value, understanding how to create content that's going to resonate with people, um, all of that's cr critically important. So because that's my bent, because that's where I've been and where I've succeeded, um, I will speak to that. So um, psychology, uh, culture, really understanding that. And then understanding marketing is just huge. So um, that is really, really critical. So those are the ones I would lean on. All right, Dede K. Dede K, that's a great name. I want that to be real. Uh, when you and your former partners, Mike and Ron, created Quest, it blew up in six years. While most people may believe that this unicorn company came almost overnight, I believe that it was 14 years in the making. During those first eight years in your technology company, what skills did you guys build for Quest, which was a completely new industry that allowed it to blow up? It really was, so marketing was huge for sure. Um, and in a lot of ways, Quest was a rebellion against the way that we were doing things in awareness tech. So yes, I mean, we learned things that most of them are outdated now, but we learned things that were very useful. So um, the way that we were direct selling, um, really understanding Google, having a deep understanding of both um, SEM and SEO, that was huge, really helped us in the beginning of uh, Quest. Um, also just working together as a team, understanding each each of our strengths and weaknesses uh, so that we could divvy up the company responsibilities in a way that really let each of us shine. Um, yeah, at the end of the day, it was after that stuff, it was rebelling against the way that we were doing things, which were very traditional. 
um, being invisible, using fear tactics in our marketing. So like, oh my God, if you don't have this software, your employees are probably stealing stuff from you. It was like, oh, it felt so gross and I did not want to do it. We weren't using the software in our own company. And so we wanted to do something that was in alignment with our desire to build community, create value, be authentic. The, the word that I used to use back then was personality. I want the company to have my real personality. Like I want to be who I am. And so that was the, the things that were driving us was just we'd done it so long, the opposite way of just thinking money first and prioritizing profitability and like everything was driven by profitability. And so it was just not fun. There was no connection. There was no passion. Speaking for myself, there was no passion, no connection. Um, so I was just like, I'm never doing that again. So if we're going to keep working together, it's got to be something around value creation, passion, community, all that. And um, yeah, so very much it was a um, company that was 14 years in the making. Um, and those are the, the things that we learned from that. And that's Chase, everybody, making an appearance with the alarm. All right, next up, Paul. You talked about a pivotal moment in your development when you realized you were fighting with your business partner about an idea you knew was not the best path at the time. It was more important to win the argument versus admitting you were wrong. The story definitely resonates with me every time I get into a debate with my business partner. We've been partners for a very long time, over 20 years, and I feel we are getting further and further apart in terms of what we believe we need to be doing to grow our business. I have never heard you express frustration about another person, instead always focusing on your own thoughts and actions, but how do you figure out if someone is truly toxic or if it's just about getting changing, if it's just about changing your own perspective of the situation. Okay, so here's the reality. It takes two to tango. So you're in a very dangerous position with your business partner. So if you feel that you guys are beginning to grow apart, I promise you are beginning to grow apart. But I also promise, like a marriage, it's probably still salvageable. If you're asking this question, it's a very good sign. But you guys are going to have to sit down and do the business equivalent of marriage counseling. And I'm not joking. So in fact, God, it would be actually really interesting for you guys to actually take marriage counseling. Never made that recommendation before, but what I really think about what ends up happening in a relationship that's becoming toxic, unless one of you has a fundamental personality flaw that you're just not willing to work out, such as like a deep and abiding narcissism or something where you just literally can't see past yourself, you're not willing to see how anything is um, on your plate. And if you're really willing and there's like love and, um, you know, Oh, trust is maybe the wrong word at this point, but if there was really love there and you guys want to find that way back together and you're willing to go into it, not looking to point blame, blaming people or, or, or saying we're here because of you or any of that um, isn't useful. At this point, it's just how do we come back together? How do we build that trust back? How do we build open communication again? And as you guys pull apart, um, there's resentment, there's bitterness, there's, you know, the part of the problem becomes, it's like each of you think the other person is wrong, which tells me that over time, you've had reason to look at the other person and say, you've done things that haven't worked out well. And the other person is saying, you've done things that haven't worked out well. So you guys are no longer really trusting each other um, from that perspective. So you have to find a way to come back together, uh, to trust each other emotionally, to open up, to speak with radical candor. And this is going to be a hard one because you guys, to earn that trust back with each other, you're really going to have to get to the root cause, say the things you haven't wanted to say, and having somebody there that can mediate that so it doesn't just become a yelling and screaming match, I think is very wise. And then really being able to let go. And I find that a lot of times, especially in a relationship that's 20 plus years, if you haven't been using radical candor all along the way, there are a lot of things that have hurt each other um, and you guys have never addressed it. 
And so a lot of that stuff is gonna have to be unwound, it's gonna have to be addressed. And each of you are gonna have to figure out if you're actually willing to forgive. And that's gonna be the big part, man. Some people can um, move forward, but they can't forgive. And if you can't forgive, it's what I call dust settling in a relationship. Any one speck of dust is nothing, but when you've got 20 years of accumulated dust, you can imagine what that would look like. And it's just absolutely gnarly. And when you go to clean it, it just kicks the dust up into the air and it's total madness. And you have to be committed to seeing the cleaning all the way through. Most people aren't. Most people, you know, drop sort of that emotional bomb in the dust. It blows it up everywhere. And they say, well, I finally said the things I needed to say. But they weren't said in a way that was in any way, shape, or form constructive. It just blows the dust into the air. Now you can't see anything. Now you're sneezing, hacking, coughing. Your asthma's kicking in. It's all bad. So you have to be very careful about how you deal with this stuff. Be very thoughtful and Think of it like a marriage. And just like in a marriage, if you're browbeating somebody, uh, being cruel, placing blame, all of that, people are just gonna further retreat into themselves. This is so interesting. I really wish uh, that we were sitting together. I wanna be the marriage counselor in this scenario. Uh, this is utterly fascinating to me. So there you have it. I'll leave it at that. I'm just gonna start looping. Uh, work through this. It is doable if you're both willing to come to the table. All right. Okay, guys, that's it. I think this is our last AMA before Thanksgiving. So everybody, have a very happy Thanksgiving. Um, I hope that you love, this, if you're in the US, that you love this magical weekend as much as I do. This is time for family. Um, enjoy it, take the time, connect, turn on a different side of yourself. Enjoy that, I know I will be. All right guys, if you haven't already, be sure to subscribe. If you're only listening to this in the podcast, by the way, rate and review would be magically delicious. That helps this grow. All right, until next time my friends, be legendary, take care. Hey everybody, thank you so much for listening. And if this content is delivering value to you, please go to iTunes, go to Stitcher, rate and review us. That helps us build this community. And that is what we are all about right now, building this community as big as we can to help as many people as we can deliver as much value as possible. And you guys rating and reviewing really helps with that. All right, guys, thank you again so much. And until next time, my friends, be legendary. Take care.